Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. This is your co-host, digital editor Al Lunsford, joined again by my co-host Joe Passoff. And if you've made it to this episode, you've reached the finish line, the finale of season 11 of our podcast. Whether or not you started from the beginning, uh, here you are at the finish line, and we'll we'll try our best to award you as such with a quality episode here, an idea that Joe and I had thought up. Well, I don't know that I can take much credit for it. Joe thought this up, and I stole his idea for a piece of edit to do on the podcast here today. So, Joe, thanks for the the thought. We immediately recognized this as an idea that would make for a perfect podcast episode and something that is outside the norm when it comes to thinking about a golf wish list. Most wish lists are full of Augustas and Cypress points and clubs of that nature. But today we've put together a wish list of courses for someone who's, you know, maybe you're a top 100 chaser. This is for someone who is looking to expand their horizons a bit outside the top 100, particularly for ourselves, because we've not played most of these courses, but for each has their own reasons as to why they're uh, intriguing and why, why we might want to play these one day. Uh, Joe, what do you have to add to that? What, what are we doing today with this list of courses? Well, first of all, Al, thanks. Uh, Yours might have been a little bit of an unfair characterization. Uh, I may have thought of the idea, but you're the editor. You (laughs) massaged it. You made it come out just right for us to approach this topic, which, again, all of us who love great golf courses and love to travel the country and the world uh, in pursuit of bucket list kinds of golf courses, as you said, um, Augusta National, Cypress Point, whether it's Pebble Beach or the old course at St. Andrews, you know, there's a whole bunch of them on a on anyone's given list. But the courses that came to mind for me on this one are, all right, let's say you're ready to expand your horizons much further beyond the top 100, and you're a serious student of architecture or golf history, or maybe just chasing the most beautiful settings that you can find. Um, I thought, what about a little list of golf courses that were never going to be in anybody's top 100, but were worth your while to go play? I might say they're must plays, but yet I haven't played most of them yet. And, um, and they're ones I'd like to play. So that makes them wish list items for me. And for me too, after doing research into the five we ended up with. So today we have five courses, all generally outside the top 100, uh, but have made our wish list because of, if you read the description of the episode and Joe's description just a second ago, their history, their location, their legacy from an architecture standpoint or contribution to the game, or just because they would be fun to play. Now, We have five set in stone, and I've written down a few others that I may add to the the list later on down the line. You know, once you get through those first five that are at the top, but I don't know if you did that too, Joe. Maybe we can rifle our uh, honorable mentions on the end of this 
Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I've got two at the perfect. top, so that would be fun to add. Perfect. All right, Joe, I want to start with the course on this list that you have played. Again, I've not played any of these, but a majestic, a magical, beautiful course in the Redwoods of California, an Alistair McKenzie nine-holer called Northwood. Yeah, Al, it's a, a great pick to start off with. McKenzie fans and people from Northern California cer certainly know about this one. Otherwise, it's still, you know, off the beaten cart path, as they say. Uh, well, maybe it's me who says it. Northwood is the one on this list that I have played, and I've played it several times and visited on two other occasions without playing. And it, one of the reasons it makes the list is obvious, its architect is Alistair McKenzie. So we know that Alistair McKenzie is one of the greatest architects of all time. We also know that among his greatest courses, Augusta National, Cypress Point Club, and Royal Melbourne, uh, not many of us are going to be able to play, no matter how much we want it. So, so in looking to pursue some Alistair McKenzie architecture, you look for some public access. Pasatiempo uh, in Northern California is probably the best example uh, that we have that's closest for folks in the U.S., but there is this nine-holer, as you mentioned, up in Redwood country. And uh, for me, again, having been there several times, it's uh, the town is called Monte Rio, California. And it's a, a little around an hour north of San Francisco. And what I remember about it first was somehow my mother and father were on a wine trip up there, just kind of on vacation. And went over to, I played a little golf on their trip and they played this golf course. And you can imagine the shock and awe where my mother, who probably played golf five times in her life, had played an Alistair McKenzie course and I hadn't. You know, I was about 20, 22 years old or so. So I made it a point uh, as, a, as a bucket list to get to this place. It's really a fantasy calendar setting for nine holes. It's across the road from the Russian River uh, in kind of, I call it Corbell sparkling wine country. Uh, just, you know, that's the closest major winery to there. And what's most memorable is the setting with nine holes that weave through giant redwood trees. So, you know, there's, an, not only is it and in, an incredible experience to be playing golf in the Redwoods, but it's a little bit of a forbidden fruit thrill because you know that no one in this day and age would green light a golf course being built through Redwood trees. But in 1928, things weren't so restrictive. And, you know, Al, uh, there's not a lot of Mackenzie left, but slowly but surely, the uh, the current owners are attempting with what money they have to bring back this McKenzie feature or that McKenzie feature, restoring some of the bunkers, restoring some of the contours to the greens. And, um, you know, again, historical reasons, it was built for members of the Bohemian Club, a very exclusive society of individuals that at one point was 
devoted to the arts and sciences and government, people prominent in all of those areas. And a member of that society, the Bohemian Club, was Jack Neville, who himself in 1919 designed Pebble Beach. So you thought, okay, if Jack Neville chose to have Alistair McKenzie design the golf course for the Bohemian Club, Alistair McKenzie must have been a pretty special architect because Jack Neville was no slouch when he designed Pebble Beach. So my take is that, again, it's the one course on this list I have been, so I, I and, and several times, um, go play a McKenzie, but it's just an absolutely unique setting for golf, too. Even if, you know, most of the nine holes aren't terribly individually memorable, the setting itself, the architectural legacy will wow you. It's stunning. I the the pictures you can see on their site. Uh, you can watch Eric Anders Lang his adventures in golf video series. He had, he did a, a video out there as well. Um, and you talk about the secret society involved with building the course, the fraternity, uh, the Bohemian fraternity. It's almost like this is a secret tucked in the redwoods you would never know about and maybe just happen upon it gives me hansel and gretel vibes almost as you're walking through an enchanting forest and and happen upon this nine hole course and a gym that one you called uh mentioning augusta pasatiempo and cypress point among the top five mckinsey courses in the world which they proudly sport on their website i i i was gonna say i was surprised to see but it should be no surprise to see your name and and people flaunting your accolades joe there uh you are an authority on this kind of thing so uh i was it brought a smile to my face to see your name uh associated with them but uh yeah peak rate from what i could tell fifty dollars to play this course and it should absolutely be on your bucket list for every unique trait you mentioned. Yeah, you can. It's just nine holes. Um, it's real golf. It's 2,893 yards. So not quite 3,000, not exactly a championship test. And again, you, you'll, it's flat ground, basically. Um, super easy to walk. And uh, you'll, you'll get you know, enough golf shots in, but also understand, uh, you know, this is not a great golf course in 2022. It's more a great golf experience for what you do at a price that you say, yeah, I can do something unique in golf with an Alistair McKenzie design. And uh, if you walk during the week, nine holes, it's $31, $25 after 3.30, in the afternoon. So, I mean, for that uh, investment, it's absolutely worth doing once, twice, or three times. And Monte Rio, you said, uh, obviously the Redwoods kind of close to San Francisco. I mean, in terms of proximity to a location that people are familiar with and how to get there, what what would you say is the best, best way to go about that? Yeah, really, it's a, just a straight shot up north 
from San Francisco. It's on uh, the little town of Monte Rio is pretty, pretty much a coastal town. Um, however, there's also a, a little bit of an inland route coming from the east and going west, again, where if you're doing a wine tour, there are some very nice wineries on the way. Um, again, the one that's most memorable to me is Corbel, if you want to celebrate the good life with some sparkling wine. So, you know, it's an either or. You can make it a destination side trip from San Francisco um, or just make it the culmination of a nice little wine tasting day and um, and and get in your nine holes. Sounds like a good pairing to me. All right. Well, that was a good way to start. And now let's get to some courses that neither you or I are personally familiar with from an experience standpoint, but have read plenty about. So I think a good, we'll go straight down the, the kind of list that we had set out to you. So the next one we're going to go to is America's first municipal course. That's in the Bronx and it's called Van Cortland Park. A uh, lot of great history at this particular course. Joe, what had what did you know about Van Cortland, you know, prior to brushing up on its history? Well, I've researched it a few times. I've written about municipal golf and its history, and it in America it starts with Van Cortland. Uh, it dates parts of it date to 1895 when golf was so young in the United States, and you know, one of the other things that kind of struck me, all the times I've been to New York, been fortunate to play some of the great golf courses in Westchester County and then venturing out on Long Island. But the city itself and the municipal operations have a fistful of quality designs. But you also, you kind of have to have the mentality of a New Yorker to get to any of these, which whether you drive or you take the subway or the trains or public other public transportation, which I didn't do a lot of in the cities that I grew up and have lived in. So sometimes the adventure is almost as compelling just getting to these golf courses, Van Cortland included, um, as it is playing them. So I didn't really know a, a whole lot about it for you know, a good deal of time. It wasn't a top 100 course. It wasn't in the top 100 public courses. But I remember uh, as a younger man, uh, you were a young, young guy, I think. Um, but there was a very popular movie in 1987 called Wall Street. And it featured uh, Michael Douglas, who won an, uh, an Oscar for his role in there. And uh, Charlie Sheen, um, back before his life took some interesting turns. And there was a scene in a locker room that you could just tell. It was doubling for an old private haunt, everything, aged lockers and, and shipped and benches and so forth. And it turns out that was the locker room used in the movie. That was Van Cortland's. And uh, my understanding is those lockers, uh, even 120 years later, have not changed. That locker room is still the same. So in a sense, that's what I knew about Van Cortland. Um, but Al, I had the good fortune, actually, 
two years ago to talk to the architect that the city has retained to touch up all of its golf courses. Stephen Kay is his name. And I've, I've spent time with Stephen over the years, ran into him uh, last year at the uh, Architect Society annual meeting in Cleveland. But uh, he had some words of wisdom for how he looks at Van Cortland. And he told me, he said, quote, the design is nothing to write home about. <laughs> and, and he's the guy working on renovations, restorations. But he continued, except that it's the oldest public course, reason enough to play it. He said, plus, it's usually in pretty good shape and has some interesting holes. So, you know, right there, when the architect himself is being honest enough with me, you know, to say, hey, it is what it is, but it's absolutely worth seeing. So it opened as, uh, as nine holes in 1895. The uh, architect, which, who was Tom Bendelo, kind of the Johnny Appleseed of American architecture, going across the country, designing very modest little courses. Um, he added, uh, Bendelo himself added nine more holes in um in uh, 1899, four years later, and then many expansions and uh, alterations in the mid-1930s and again in 1949 changed that original 18. So today's holes, if you get there, one, two, three, six, seven, 12, 13, and 14 occupy the same ground that housed the original nine. They aren't the same holes, but it was that plot of ground where American municipal golf started. You mentioned getting there a couple of times, and uh, a, one of our other writers for us that did a piece on linksmagazine.com on Van Cortland, uh, Eric Matashevsky, noted that of the 15 or so municipal courses uh, in the city, Van Cortland is probably the most accessible you you can take the number one subway line to its northernmost stop and be about 350 yards a par four away from the clubhouse uh and once you get there we're talking municipal golf access to all so you can see anyone from those wall street execs to um kids on the block trying to pick up the game the course you mentioned has changed over time it actually used to have a 700 yard hole uh, that has since changed and through the 40s and 50s different things like expressways being built uh, have forced the course to maneuver around so things aren't exactly the same uh, but still very accessible rates are in the 50s and 60s in terms of dollars to play uh any day so yeah and if you're looking for some golf challenge okay i mean again some munis and some ancient munis just are that and they have no other redeeming characteristics so van Cortland does offer a bit more uh it's six thousand and two yards par 70 so it no longer has a 700-yard hole, but uh, the second hole itself is 619 yards. 
you know, that's pretty healthy. And then there's a parallel par five to it, the 12th, which is 572 yards. So there's plenty of golf to be played. Uh, again, the architect uh, that, that works on it, Stephen Kay, uh, likes the par three seventh, 222 yards from the tips. He says it's got a nice two-level green. I mean, those three holes I've just described, that, you know, for long hitters, that's all the golf you, you could want right there. Uh, the 18th hole is a drivable par four of 338 yards. It tumbles downhill from an elevated tee. Uh, the 12th hole, again, Stephen Kay likes it. Uh, there's a pond on the right side that requires a risk-reward decision. And then the very next hole, the 13th, par three of 172 yards, plays over water. So play might be a little slow, but there are plenty of interesting holes to keep your attention and understand that while this is the pilgrimage is for historic reasons, there's sufficient golf to attract your attention and make the trip a, a worthwhile one. And to add to that, there over the years, apparently it was a a place where people like Babe Ruth and Willie Mays, Jackie Robinson came to play golf. Even the Three Stooges, you could see Larry Moe and Curly out there every so often. So <laughs> combining the history element and walking in the footsteps of names like that, uh, if you live in New York and you're looking for something different, something new, you haven't heard of Van Cortland, you can add that to your golf arsenal and... Uh, be a history buff in the process. Yeah, and credit the city of New York, you know, a few years back for understanding that they did have some jewels, so to speak, um, highly unpolished jewels. But there were places uh, such as Van Cortland um, and then the county courses at Bethpage out on Long Island where uh, half the time they didn't even have actual flags on the flag sticks. And it was not uncommon to find something extremely unpleasant in the rough, uh, such as a deceased, decaying body. That is no longer the case. So, but they were convenient dumping grounds because they were parks, well shaded, and um, and and those. I mean, that's how it was forty to fifty years ago. So, at least in the last twenty-five to thirty years, a concerted effort to make these meaningful golf golf experiences again and uh, that's what i i understand exists today get rid of some of those unnatural hazards that's probably it <laughs> for the best <laughs> well speaking of parks and a seamless transition to uh the next course on our list well joe i'm gonna i'm gonna switch two of them out because uh in the list i sent you this wouldn't be the next one but to make the transition that I just alluded to, uh, now let's talk about a golf course that resides inside a national park, a bit of a rarity uh, in the country. But this one is in the middle of Yosemite National Park. There is a course called Wawona. It's been called other things as well. Big Trees Lodge Golf Course in association with a hotel that was built there. But Wawona is a nine-holer that, again, it's a bit of a rarity. And unlike anything you're really going to find elsewhere in the country. I always get 
Yosemite and Yellowstone confused for some reason. I, I know I've been to Yellowstone. I haven't been to Yosemite. Have you been to Yosemite National Park before being an Arizona guy? And, and were you aware that there was a course there? When I was at Yosemite, and it's been, now it's been 40 years, but I remember the trip well, and it was stunning beauty. I was healthy enough to uh, hike uh, all over. Well, I shouldn't say all over Yosemite, but but I had my share. Stunning beauty. And of course, I was partial at that age uh, because I was a big fan of Yosemite Sam from Bugs Bunny fame, uh, whose mustache was larger than he was. But I didn't realize there was a golf course in there. Otherwise, I absolutely would have made made it a, a point to at least see it. So Yellowstone, which has some golf just outside the bounds of the park, and Yosemite, uh, a little further west, uh, so to speak, two of our greatest natural parks. And they are both worth seeing with families, with loved ones, because nature's grandeur doesn't get much better than either of those two places. So Yosemite, you know, kind of uh, the other image that I had is uh, we talked about redwood trees a little further north and Yosemite is, is full of sequoias, you know, some, some giant sequoia trees, but mountain faces, uh, again, great places to hike. And yes, in 1918, there was a golf course built. Again, the way it was, people would build golf courses and hotels at the end of train stops in order to get you to take the train to go out there and have a nice place to stay. So Yosemite's, uh, like the Grand Canyon as well, built a very nice hotel called the, then it was called the Wawona Lodge. Now it is known as Big Trees Lodge, I believe. Uh, no one ever built a golf course within the Grand Canyon. But um, again, Yosemite had a nine-hole course that was uh, that was done up in in 1918. It's been up and down through the years in terms of priorities for the owners, uh, and it, it even today uh, you you got to get a little more fortunate to find it in good shape as a, even acceptable shape. But it's three thousand and a little over three thousand yards, I believe. Uh, nine holes and, and par 35. And yeah, I don't know a whole lot more about it, but the idea of returning to Yosemite and being overwhelmed by beauty and being able to say, I played nine holes within this national park setting is really appealing to me. Some other things of note, supposedly, uh, it's one of the few organic golf courses in the U.S. per uh, one of the websites associated with the course. Uh, they don't use any pesticides on the course. They just use reclaimed water for the greens. So uh, very natural to go along with the National Park theme. The sixth hole out there has been nicknamed the Nursery Hole because often you'll find wildlife will pop out of the woods around that area of the course. So a, a good place to see wildlife while in the park, potentially, and while playing golf. Uh, and yeah, and there's there's just not a ton really out there about it. Uh, it seems like one of those places you have to see it to believe it, to experience it. Like you said, it was 
It's just over 3,000 yards, par 35, two par fives, three par threes. And uh, you can make it an 18-hole adventure if you'd, if you'd like. They, they have different tee positions to make that accessible as well. So another one just to throw on your list as something something really different and one day you can say hey i played golf inside a national park so not something a lot of people unless you've played wabona or a couple of others around the country that are within the confines of a national park uh none quite so up the level of yosemite with that kind of name but this is the one for you so, Joe, next, the the one that I skipped over that now I'm going to come back to up on the West Coast still. So we're going to go all the way up to Seneca, Oregon, and a golf resort, kind of one of those, you know, remote Oregon golf meccas uh, found in Seneca is a place called Sylvie's Valley Ranch, which I think of all of the courses on our list here, this may be the most familiar because uh, it's a golf resort. It's got uh, three large golf courses and now a putting course just opened out there. All designed by the same architect, uh, a guy called a guy by the name of Dan Hickson has designed every course there, Joe, to be played reversible. Even the putting course which is a Hickson design as well, can be played in reverse. So something very unique going on there in Seneca, Oregon. Have you heard much about Sylvie's? I know it's rose to prominence in recent years just as another resort destination, but what, what else do you know about Sylvie's? Well, I think Sylvie's is probably best known right now for a gimmick and a very successful gimmick at that, which is on one of their golf courses, they have goats for caddies. And I don't mean goat greatest of all time that Jack Nicholas or Tiger Woods will be there to caddy. We mean the actual paper eating goats uh, that uh, are used basically because they love the really hilly, severe terrain that the golf occupies. And, uh, you know, just like a couple of other courses, like the Coeur d'Alene um, that had the floating island green, it's a gimmick, but it's a gimmick that works, you know, to think, okay, I've done everything in golf, but I've never had a goat caddy carry my clubs for me. Um, so, yeah, there's much more to Sylvie's Valley Ranch. It is new. I mean, it's literally, as a golf destination, only about, you know, four, maybe five years old. And they have uh, a few championship courses, 7,000 yards from the tips that are all, you know, that are reversible. And uh, so I say that it, the features will affect you one way and then a different way going when you play it the next day. They have a family-friendly par three course. They have this seven-hole mountain style golf course called um uh, I, I at least was known as mcveigh's gauntlet it may be shortened to mcveigh's these days 
And then they have a putting 18 hole putting course at the moment. Um, so it is again, one of those proverbial middle of nowhere destinations with the hope if you build it, they will come. I mean, it is a, it's 220 miles west of Boise, Idaho, about a three hour drive and uh, four and a half hours from Portland as a drive uh, southeast of Portland. So, you know, Bandon is pretty darn remote. <laughs> um, and, and so is Sylvie's Valley Ranch. But what you get at Sylvie's Valley Ranch is not just a wild, unique golf experience with plenty to experience, but it's an actual working ranch. And so part of their offerings and what you, you can, I think, even do a package deal involved with ranch activities and shooting activities in addition to your golf activities. So I'll leave you with this thought. Um, one of the reasons it's still so high on my list is I did have a trip scheduled there in 2018. going to pull out all the stops and uh, I was going to experience what they had at the time and had a family emergency that kept me from going. Um, and, and so I thought about that of, of the many places I still have yet to get to. This was one where, yeah, I was going to experience it all and, and do it in style and uh, fate intervene. So it's still waiting to happen for me, but it sounds so unique that I ought to try to check it off my, my wish list. It's quite literally the Oregon frontier. I mean, think, uh, used to play an old computer game called Oregon trail where you've got a, a horse and wagon. You can try to make it across uh, and survive on the Oregon trail. Uh, and then just think about all this beautiful golf out there again, very unique with a seven hole par 22 course with goat caddies. And you mentioned the others reversible championship courses. There's other things to do. You can do cattle roundups. Uh, you can ride ATVs around fishing, biking, horseback riding. And, and in the winter, you can even do ice fishing or snowshoeing around the property. So plenty of things to do that you want the real ranch experience somewhere and throw in some quality golf as well in a remote location. Sylvie's is something that, again, people must travel far for, but could be well worth the journey and something you'll never forget. Which brings us to the last course on our list of five here before Joe and I get into a few others that are on our wish list for various reasons. There is a course called Downers Grove in Illinois. What would be significant about this course that anyone can play? Well, it just so happens to be the original site of a well-known club, Chicago Golf Club. Now, Joe, I didn't know anything about this course before you mentioned it to me on your list. In terms of historical significance, like we mentioned, this has to be up there with maybe the least known, but of the most important golf clubs in the country. Can you kind of explain why? Yeah, anybody that follows golf, great golf courses, and serious golf history in the United States 
is aware of Chicago Golf Club. This was C.B. McDonald, the father of American golf course architecture. And before he built the National Golf Links out on Long Island in 1911, he established golf west of the Mississippi, uh, the earliest version, basically. And that would have been 1892. He had been educated at the University of St. Andrews and actually learned the game from Tom Morris, old Tom, and uh, brought it back and said, I want to play this game here back home in the U.S. And so being in Chicago at that point, they set up nine holes with a local farmer uh, near the town of Belmont then. And this became the first Chicago golf club. So it was nine holes in 1892. The very next year in 1893, they added nine more. And this was C.B. McDonald. This was the first 18-hole golf course in the United States, chartered by the state of Illinois in 1893. And soon thereafter, in 1894, was one of the five founding clubs of the United States Golf Association. I mean, this is heady company. So yeah, everybody knows about Chicago Golf Club now who follows Lynx Magazine and who follows these sorts of things. It's one of the most exclusive clubs in the country. It was home to some very early U.S. Opens and U.S. Amateurs. Most recently played host to the Women's Senior Open and a Walker Cup. Um, to get an invitation to Chicago Golf is much coveted. But the course that we know today as Chicago Golf Club didn't move there, wasn't established there until 1895. That's when the membership at the original Chicago Golf Club just outgrew the present facilities and decided to relocate. And C.B. McDonald built them a new golf course, entirely new, a few miles away in Wheaton, in 1923, that course was essentially rebuilt by his protege, Seth Rayner, and it's a fabulous do. If you ever get a chance to invite it, it's usually, to be invited, it's usually in the top 20 in the country, and um, an incredible atmosphere. But what remains of that original Chicago Golf Club from 1892 to 1894? It's at a nine-hole public course called Downers Grove. And that's what you alluded to, Al. It uh, it became, it, it had been 18 holes after 1893. And then eventually times got a little tougher and they abandoned nine of the holes. But if you go to play nine hole Downers Grove Golf Club or golf course, there are still remnants of the original Chicago Golf Club there including holes two, four, seven, eight, and nine. And to me, if you are a serious course connoisseur, a history buff who takes after these things the way many reader, readers and, and listeners at Lynx Magazine do, this is a pilgrimage to see what the original, what remains of the original Chicago Golf Club and, uh, and that's at Downers Grove. 
And again, for all intents and purposes, the first 18-hole course in the country is there, can be claimed by the site at Downers Grove. Just nine holes now, you can play it from 20 to $30. And it's, it's history. We talked about several of these being historic sites. And this is just another one that carries a, a weight that you just can't, you can't get, you can't attribute to many other places. From what I understand, it's a certified Audubon Cooperative Sanctuary. So it's a, a beautiful and well-kept place. There's a driving range there, and practice, practice putting green, uh, along with the nine-hole course. Uh, so it, it offers more than just the ability to, to play uh, on the grounds of where golf began in this country. It's a sturdy enough test too. It's 3280 from the back tees. Um, so just about 3,300 yards, uh, a rating of 72.4 slope 133. So there's sufficient challenge, um, you know, yeah, certainly worthy to go around twice and experience again, some of very historic holes that were among the first to be included in uh, the USGA founding fathers back in 1894. So again, uh, there's so much great golf in Chicago and that's my excuse um, is for my trips to Chicago. I've been fortunate enough to, you know, cover tournaments at Medina and to play some of the great courses in the suburbs. But um, I'm vowing next time in Chicago, I'm going to go see this place and play the nine holes there and understand where golf certainly west of the Mississippi came from and, and its role in the founding of the United States golf association. And CB McDonald. So, and, and CB McDonald, exactly right. Al. So you can throw that in there. Cool. Well, Joe, those are, are five courses that for all, for each, for their own reasons, qualify as added worth adding to a wish list for someone who's interested in in more than just the highest ranked golf courses in the country or what many consider to be the best golf courses uh, this is again for someone who is looking for more substance potentially behind their their rounds of golf and not necessarily 18 holes like, like we mentioned several of those were nine hole courses so I'll go ahead and get into a few of the the ones that several of these were in, inspired by ones from our list as others that could be potentially wish list worthy courses. If you go back to the National Park conversation at Yosemite and Wawona, there are a few others in national parks uh, within the confines, technically. Furnace Creek, uh, down in Death Valley is the course with the lowest elevation in the world. And that is in Death Valley National Park, also in California, a little further south than Yosemite. Uh, you've got Highland Links in Cape Cod National Park and the Presidio, which is near San Francisco, uh, right next to the Golden Gate Bridge. So those are other courses technically inside 
national parks. Well, Al, it's uh, good that you mentioned Presidio inside of the Golden Gate Bridge and inside the Golden Gate National Park, because that was the original home of San Francisco Golf Club, another very private, <laughs> well-respected golf course that, again, it was founded at the Presidio. A couple of Dan Hickson designs are on my list as well, uh, who we mentioned he designed Sylvie's Valley. Uh, he also did Bandon Crossings, which if any of you have taken that pilgrimage to Bandon Dunes before you turn in to the resort property, you may have seen the sign for Bandon Crossings. It's right across the street, uh, and it's an 18-hole Dan Hickson design. Five par fives, five par threes, and in the same kind of setting there in Bandon, Oregon, that if you've seen it, you know, it's a quite unique place for golf as well. Uh, Dan also recently completed a course called Ball, uh, sorry, called Bar Run on the, the site of a sand and gravel mine. Both of those are on the Oregon Trek to Bandon. So if you're interested in playing some more golf around or on your way to your bucket list trip to Bandon Dunes, those are a couple of good options. Have you played? crossings joe i'm sorry to say al that i have not i'll put it on this very wish list okay uh another course that has an unconvention unconventional number of holes but with a idyllic setting and a value option in the area if you're going to be traveling to Sin City, Las Vegas, the Cloud Nine course at Angel Park has always kind of been interesting to me. Uh, 12 holes, I believe it is, and it's made up of some of the most famous par threes in the world, uh, lit for night play as well. So, very, you, when you go to Las Vegas and you see like the Statue of Liberty and the different monuments uh, attributed from around the world kind of fits into that narrative too of paying homage to very famous holes uh, and then the lights come on at night and you can play it then as well. Angel Park, has that been a place you visited? Absolutely. I've played all the courses there, including the putting course most recently and Cloud Nine is a lot of fun. Uh, whether you play it all during the day or you know hit it uh, for some of the nighttime play, it's Vegas. Uh, there's so many distractions, so many other things to be doing, but we all love to play golf. And if you feel like, uh, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to use up the whole day for golf. You get a par three course. That's fun and interesting because a lot of the holes do suggest and are attributed to more famous holes. And by the same token, it's you're playing golf and you're playing golf in this setting where you've got some city views and you got some mountain views and uh, definitely, definitely a fun do. Angel Park in general, just uh, a good place to be when you're when you're out in Las Vegas and you're you're losing big at the tables. <laughs> well, a couple of others that are kind of close to me that, in particular, are are wish list worthy uh, because I'm a fan of Mike Strands and what he has done. So there's a course in Ashboro nearby. Uh, Greensboro for me, 
called Tot Hill Farm. And many will recognize Mike Strands for Tobacco Road. That certainly, I think, is a bucket list, wish list worthy course because of how different it is. And from what I hear, Tot Hill is kind of the same, very rugged, a lot of rocky outcroppings and almost a a tobacco road light, if you will, nearby. It's a great choice, Al, because I have played Tobacco Road. I have never played Tot Hill. And right there, it's kind of like, why do we hear so much so often about Tobacco Road and not much about Tot Hill? I guess we need to go there and find out and see whether it's deserving of, of a whole lot more. Sure. You're welcome to come and you can stay in my guest room whenever you want, Joe. And we'll, we'll head out there. I think it's like 20 minutes away. Uh, last on my list was we talked about Van Cortland and municipal golf. And there's a muni here in Greensboro that I've yet to play. And probably not many people have heard of it. It's called Gillespie golf course, but there's a muni nearby. I, I need to, I feel like I have to get a feel for my new city. So what better way to do that than to play a golf course smack dab in the middle of it? That's as good a reason as you need. Al, I, I, I don't have as many choices uh, for uh, extra options. I know we've covered quite a few on this one. And the premise being, hey, uh, the golf courses that we've mentioned are not in anybody's top 100, but they're really worthy of your time, your effort to play them for one reason or another. And um, the top two that came to mind for me, one, I have actually played many times. So it's not a wish list other than to go back and do it again. And that's Pacific Grove Golf Links. It's in Pacific Grove, California. It's right next to Pebble Beach. It's often referred to as the poor man's Pebble Beach. Why? Well, the final nine holes are is great an expression of seaside golf as you'll find in America. Several holes play right along the Pacific Ocean. There's a lighthouse on the golf course. So you feel like you're playing in Ireland. You feel like there's a Scottish feel to it. It's not up on the cliffs the way Pebble Beach is. It's down right next to the Pacific Ocean. There's sand dunes flecked with ice plant. Uh, the small twisted trees and uh, nine of the holes, the front nine goes through a little bit of a neighborhood that dates to 1932. Chandler Egan, who had a hand in code uh, in, in uh, renovating Pebble Beach in time for the 1929 U.S. Open. He did the front nine and Jack Neville, Jack Neville, we mentioned him with Northwood. He designed this incredible back nine in 1960 really walkable uh, for all 18, no matter when you choose to play, even with a cart for non-residents, it's under a hundred bucks. But the best deal of all is the first 75 minutes of the day, they'll let you play the back nine and you can walk it during the week for $39. Front nine's okay. Nothing that you're going to write home about or shout from the rooftops. The back nine is just awesome, and it's challenging and fun in the breeze. It looks the part, 
and it's 39 bucks to walk if you if you do it first thing in the morning. So that's uh, that's my first one is Pacific Grove Golf Links. The second choice I had uh, is called Clearview Golf Club or Clearview Golf Course. And it's outside of Cleveland, Ohio, closer to Akron Canton. It's actually in East Canton. And what's special about Clearview? Well, again, we've talked and preached for these last many years about making golf inclusive. And with the Hall of Fame career of Charlie Sifford to the Hall of Fame career of Tiger Woods and many people in between, Clearview Golf Course was the first and only golf course in the United States that was designed, built, managed, and owned entirely by African Americans. And that would have been Bill Powell, William Powell, who did this in the mid-1940s. He and his wife got this thing rolling, built nine holes in 1948. And their daughter, Renee, Renee Powell, grew to be an LPGA Tour player. She is an incredible ambassador for the game, the winner of the Donald Ross Award from the American Golf Course uh, the Society of Golf Course Architects in 2020. Um, wonderful woman. I've had the chance to interview her, uh, sit with her at dinner. And uh, they added nine holes, the family did in 1978. So it's a quality test of golf. And even though there's a lot of great golf courses in Northeastern Ohio, um, the chance to tip your cap and appreciate the struggle that uh, these folks had, must have had, and the fact that they persevered and Clearview is, is still with us. Um, go see it, go play it, and uh, acknowledge its special significance in the game. Yeah, Renee, just an absolute trailblazer for the sport. Um, I guess you could couple that with Ron Canton if you're going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, throw in some golf in there. And uh, for Pacific Grove, I we're going to Pebble next March uh, for the Lynx Invitational. There are a few spots left if you want to sign up for the Lynx Invitational at Pebble Beach in March 2023. Uh, I think I should scoot on over there and play Pacific Grove while I'm in town. I don't know why I wouldn't. You know, Al, uh, I know you. You can get up at the crack of dawn and go buy the right donuts for colleagues and so forth. I've seen you do it. And uh, I would play all 18 at Pacific Grove. You know, the neighborhood is surrounded by some of the greatest golf on the planet, including Cypress Point. Monterey Peninsula Country Club, Spyglass Hill, Spanish Bay. But yes, do yourself a favor and for, you know, a very small price tag, go see and experience the glories of Pacific Grove. Sounds like a plan. Well, we've done enough to give people a lot to chew on here and hopefully play some places that they had never previously considered, but now have a reason to go and play. And check off their list. Uh, it is a great way for us to go out on this season 11, Joe. I've enjoyed, every, I've enjoyed every minute of it. And I look forward to keeping this train rolling next season, season 12, which should debut sometime 
around October. Uh, so until then, it's a, it's been a pleasure and we'll, we'll see you around the way. Al, I got to agree. It's been wonderful sharing the podcast. We've traveled all over the world. We traveled into clubhouses, experienced 19th holes, talked a lot of golf history, and we've ex- actually chatted about fabulous design, great golf courses, wish list, bucket list, and the rest. If you read Lynx Magazine, if you look at the digital product, we're all in the same boat. We all love this stuff, and that's why we come back here. So enjoyed Season 11 very much and look forward to Season 12. If you have any ideas for things to see and places to play, anything for Joe and I to discuss or even give you advice on if we have some, feel free to email us info at linksmagazine.com or reach out to us on social media. Both Joe and I are on Twitter, on Instagram. You can find us there. Uh, And for now, we are signing off. Thanks again, Joe. Take care, Ralph.